What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Happy summer, everybody. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is an honor to welcome you to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. I am so honored that you have joined us again for episode 144. We are rolling along the summer. Great guest, phenomenal conversations, and today just continues the string. In fact, he will be my third time having him on our podcast. And I tell you what, every time I'm with him, just gets better and better and better. His name is Dr. Sam Chand. If you have listened for any length of time, you know all about Sam Chand. He is an author. He is a speaker. He is a thought leader. He is just one of those people that just every time you have a conversation with them, you go, how in the world have I not seen that? Going all the way back to 2018, I had Dr. Chand on episode 18, and now again uh, for his third time on episode 144. And we're going to be talking about his newest book, Change Has Changed. Dr. Chan's vision is helping others succeed, and he does that through Avail Magazine. If you've not downloaded Avail, it's amazing. His weekly podcast, his Tuesdays with Sam Chan. He's a leadership architect, a consultant. He's been a seminary president. But I tell you what, he breaks down change in a way that you and I probably have never thought about but we need to understand as leaders. So every episode's a great episode to take notes. This is one you're going to probably want to listen to and then go back and take notes because it's that full of just dynamic nuggets. So I want you to do me a favor and I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with the one and only incredible human being, along with just being a great thought leader, Dr. Sam Chand. Dr. Chand, you're, you're my first third time guest, and I could literally have you on once a month because you always bring something new. Thanks again for joining me today. It's a joy to be with you, Mike, and especially I really appreciate how you serve leaders in ministry and marketplace. Uh, I don't think that's a crossover. I think uh, that is how God intended it to be. And I just, just love your focus and your heart. And thanks for everything you do. I'm just glad to be part of your team. Well, I, I read about everything you put out. I listen to you anytime you're on somebody's podcast. And you made a you made a comment with Dr. Mark Rutland on his podcast. And he is he is one of my favorite people to follow. Had him on as a guest this past year. You made a comment and you said obedience is underrated. Unpack that. And why would you why 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 would you make that statement? Huh. So I was born and raised in a pastor's home in India, pastored myself, uh, got saved about the age of seven or so. So I'll be 17 a couple months. So I've had struggles in my life, in my walk with the Lord. Mm. And the spankings that I have received from heaven, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, there's something about those heavenly spankings. Yes. Like, you, you get all spanked up and you want to say thank you. Uh, I received from heaven are based on basically one thing, disobedience. Mm, mm. And my blessings that have come have come from obedience. The, my struggle is I want to understand what heaven is asking me to do. I want it to fit my present plan that I have in mind. It has to go along with where my life is. I mean, it has to fit me. 
mm. and where I am. And God does not really care about all of that. He says, you're mine. I have bought you with a price. <laughs> I bought you. You are mine. You're not, you're not your own. So I'm quoting scriptures right here. That's right. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So you will do what I ask you to do. And when you don't, there are consequences to that. And you would think with my background, pastoring, born in a pastor's home, uh, leading a Christian institution, doing what I do now, that I would say, hey, you say jump, I'll just say how high. Mm. But that is not happened yet. Mm. And I struggle with obedience, even though I know the rewards. I know the rewards and the punishment. That's right. That's right. Uh, but uh, I still struggle with being obedient. And I think many of our listeners, uh, here's the challenge. We read books about seven ways to know what God wants you to do and nine ways to follow the path and you know, all kinds of books like that. Uh, but I think sometimes it's just pretty simple and we just have to learn to obey. Mm. Uh, there's an old song we used to sing in the church, Mike, trust and obey. That's right. Well, there's no other way but to happy to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Yeah. We've overcomplicated it. I think we in the church world have done a really good job making it so complicated. Everybody's got to come back next weekend. But then in the, in the same regard, we miss those daily simple things. We, we use a phrase all the time with a group that I lead, you know, get up every morning, lock eyes with Jesus and just walk one step closer that day. But it's a lot harder than it sounds when you're on that call. It is yeah. a lot harder. What have you learned in leadership, you know, especially leading organizations? You've been a college president. You've been a pastor. Now you lead your organization and lead leaders all over the country and all over the world, why is it so hard to just be obedient? What steps in your way as a leader that you may not face if you weren't in leadership? I think disobedience is bound up in our hearts. Mm -hmm. We were born with disobedience. Uh, anyone who's had children, uh, I've got two adult daughters now. You know, raising adult kids is harder than raising little babies. That's right. Uh, so disobedience is just how it is. You tell a child, don't touch that, they will touch it. Don't go there, they'll go there. Don't jump in that puddle, they'll jump in that puddle. Uh, you know, uh, stay out of the street, they'll want to play in the middle of the street. So disobedience is uh, bound up in our hearts. It is endemic to us. Mm. It is our DNA. It is it is inculcated in every fiber of our being. And I think that is our struggle. That's a struggle. And some of it is sin and some of it is carnality. And some of it is we know better than heaven. And uh, <laughs> some of it is what we have been taught and uh, some of it what we saw on social media and we read and so on and so forth. You know, I think of this way, Mike. If I was just to be obedient to what my pastor tells me every weekend, I should be a spiritual giant. <laughs> so true, though. Yeah. It is so true. I should be an, I should be an, walking on water. You know, I should be levitating. I mean, I should be some kind of a spiritual giant if I just did what my pastor mm. encouraged me to be obedient about every, every weekend, mm. but it is bound up in, in your heart. Now, when I have sane moments in which I really am listening to God, which I'm not all the time, but when I am, obedience comes easier. Mm. Mm. Uh, I mean, think of it this way. His history in our life, God's history in our lives is impeccable. God has never failed us. Have we had disappointments? Yes, we have. Have we had heartaches? Yes, we have. But he has never failed us. So his history in our lives is faultless, flawless, impeccable. Mm. So there's no reason to doubt him. And yet, when we read the scriptures again and again, you know, there are people just like us doubting on a regular basis. So 
I'm going to tell you when I get off this uh, call here, I will disobey him again today. That is, uh, <laughs> that is uh, a predictable part of my life. And I know you, I know you don't struggle with that, Mike, but that is my struggle. Yeah. I, I, uh, if I had con- if I could conquer the obedience thing, I think I would be okay. But I'm I still keep, you know, I heard a I heard a pastor say years ago, he said, I'm gonna move on to something deeper when I when I master loving my neighbor as myself. When I master <laughs> that, I'll move on to something deeper. And I thought, you know, that is really, really well said. Yeah. Really well said. Before we went on the air today, we were talking and you know, I look back to the crazy world we've lived in. And a lot of people, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, really sort of went offline in a lot of ways. I mean, in their lives, they just said, well, I'm going to sit back. And I watched you as an outsider watching into your organization, getting your magazines, reading your books, following you every time you speak on Tuesdays with Sam Chan. It's so good. And we'll put the download link in the in the show notes for that. But you wrote a... and you. You flourished during this dry season and you wrote a book and the title, we're going to talk about two of your books today. Change has changed. I think every leader would say a resounding, absolutely. What do leaders need to know that you've learned about change, Dr. Chand? You know, people used to say, Mike, that the only constant in life is change. Mm. That's not true. Change itself has changed. Uh, we're living in we're living in some tough, tough, tough leadership days. So if you are leading an organization, if you're standing in front of people and speaking, if you are a CEO, executive director, president, senior pastor, executive pastor, whatever your title might be, if you're leading people, you know. Leading has never been harder. And leading is harder today because there was there were theories about change. There were uh, paradigms of change. People said, do this, this, this. None of that works anymore. No. Because it just depends on what's happening that day, what news came down, whatever news channel you watch, uh, who you follow on social media. And, and you... People are being jacked around on a regular basis, and they they forgot that they had a, a, a north star. They forgot that they had a, uh, an axis. They had they had something to hold on to, uh, because when when we went into lockdown, shutdown, stay at home, stay safe kind of thing, whatever you want to call it, when we went into that, yeah, physically we were. But your vision never stopped. Mm. Your calling never stopped. Your passions never stopped. Your innovation never stopped. Your thinking doesn't ever stop. Your creativity never stopped. So what were you going to do with that? I mean, you're going to suck it in and uh, hibernate under a tent and wait for somebody else to tell you, now you can come out now? Or were you going to say, hey, I have an opportunity here. I have resources here. How do I make sure that other people uh, can take advantage of it? So yeah, change itself has changed. And I think people have to be aware that you have changed. People around you have changed. Ecosystem has changed. Politics has changed. Uh, science seems to be changing every day. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, change itself has become very inconsistent. You know, on, on that note, during this season, you came out with an incredible resource called Avail Magazine and so many other resources I'd love for you to talk about. Why was it so important for you to equip leaders when you could have gone, okay, I've got to survive. I've got my own company. I'm in a season of life now that I've got to make sure there's sustainability in, but yet you almost went the other direction. You went more towards serving others during that season. Tell us a little bit about Avail and and a little bit about your thought process behind, we're going to exponentially turn out more product to benefit leaders. So here's my thought process. People are whole. People are not going anywhere. Airports are shut down. People are going to be at home, and after they've enjoyed home for three days, 
the kind of friends that I serve are ready to go meet. I mean, we get our energy from being around people, yep. doing stuff, casting vision, and those energy centers were going to dry up. But I also knew that sooner and or later, we will go back, reopen, whatever you want to call that, whatever term you want to give that. So how to equip people for now, mm. for then? So I just started saying to myself, okay, so how can I fill their tank? And no more than that, how can I keep their leadership tanks full so that they can then re-emerge in whatever format they come out. But more than that, that I, uh, this is what I learned on the backside of it. So I did not go in, so this thought process was not there at that time, but I went into it from looking back on it. I knew that Mike Lynch will be talking to Bo Adams. Mm. And Bo Adams will be talking to ABC. And ABC is going to be talking to XYZ. So what can I put in Mike's hand that he can influence Bo, who can influence ABC, mm -hmm. who can bring X, Y, Z? So the way my leadership went was I gave people food to eat because you were living on your phone, weren't you? Yep, that's right. I mean, you lived on your phone. Zoom came a little later. At the beginning... We were just, hey, man, what are, you, what are you doing? Are you back? I mean, uh, so what are you going to do with this? And, and how is that doing it? We were on the phone, and then we went to Zoom, and all that, all that happened after that. But all of that happened while people were talking to each other. And I, I wanted to put something in their hands, in their minds, in their hearts, so that they could say, hey, I just read this in this magazine. I just saw this in this book. And I was not trying to sell books. I mean, during that time, we didn't sell anything. We gave everything away. Mm. We're still giving that Avail magazine away. Uh, so we had a we created a business paradigm in which we said, let's give, 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 give. And we just, I mean, we called to equip the leadership and just like you in ministry and marketplace, we called to do that. And that was our opportunity to do that. Mm. Yep. So, so so what has happened with Avail? How many now are receiving Avail magazine? And we'll have a link for how they can sign up for that. How many people are receiving that now that you know? About 150,000. Jeez. In their mailboxes, not counting digital. So uh, so so I, I'm holding one up right now on this one cover. Yep. Mark Batterson is mm -hmm. on this cover here. Uh it is glossy, five color, yep. 120, 30 pages, all Christian eclectic leadership. I mean, and it is well-written, well done. Well oh. I mean, people tell me, people, I get texts all the time from my friends saying, this is the best leadership journal that they get. Yep. So we imagine, imagine we started, uh, I think our first issue came out in June of 2020. And here we are, uh, about 150,000 subscribers. So, uh, and then we, we created another thing. So we created another magazine called Inspire. Uh, do you get this, Mike? I do not get Inspire. No, okay. I get Avail, but I do not get Inspire. Okay. So. Uh, it is inspirecollective.com. Uh, and or you can go to inspireqr.com, uh, inspire collective. Yeah, I just go to inspire collective. So this is written for business people in the marketplace, mm. for believers in the marketplace. So this is not church leadership. Yep. This is marketplace leadership. Marketplace leadership. Okay, so just and we, we did other stuff too. So just in my hands right now, I'm holding church leadership, market leadership, both of them biblically Christian based. None yep. of them preachy. You know, we don't preach in here. That's right. We give biblical ethos, ethics, leadership. So this is for uh, church leaders. This is for 
Christian leaders in the marketplace. Now, we just created resources because we knew that's what we we're called to do. So we created a plan and the plan has worked. It's, an, it's amazing. It's amazing. it's amazing. And I would say, I would agree, Avail is not only the best content, it's the, it's the best looking piece you ever get in the mail, ever. I mean, I get tons of journals and tons of, but it is when you get done reading it, you put it out in your lobby because it is, it is top show. My dad was in the printing industry for 46 years. And so, you know, I, I love anything in print like that because it is so good. And I just want to say a kudos to you and your organization that you took the time to equip to make others better. And I think the blessings you're receiving on the back end of it are because you chose to be a blessing on the front end. And you took a very unstable time and created some stability, something to look forward to coming in the mail. And that's really, really good. I I would love to ask you, because you were so knee deep in all this, crisis brings out the worst or best in people. What is it about some leaders they just rise during crisis. They thrive during a crisis while others really struggle. What, what, are the, what are the breakdowns and things you see in the ones that handle crisis correctly? So I think a lot of it has to do with vocabulary and the questions we ask. For mm-hmm. example, I don't think there's any such thing as crisis management. But there's such a thing as crisis leadership. So crisis management says, let's tamp this down. Let's quarantine this thing here. Let's manage this. Let's uh, get a public relations statement out there. Uh, you know, let's let the circle the wagons and mm-hmm. let's quarantine uh, this thing and let's contain it. Let's con- yeah, that, that's a good word. Let's contain this. That's management. Let's not let it get any bigger. Let's uh, keep it contained. Crisis leadership is totally different. Crisis leadership says, this is an opportunity. An opportunity that did not come dressed up and beautiful and gorgeous and attractive. All the same, it is an opportunity. And this is what I would like for every leader to hear me say. Your leadership equity grows exponentially Mm. in how you handle a crisis. For example, for example, uh, if you are a if you are a newer leader in an organization, uh, an executive pastor, uh, a president, a CEO, uh, an executive director, a senior pastor, doesn't matter what title you have. If you are a newer pastor or a newer leader in marketplace, it's going to take you about two to three years to really be who you are. Mm especially if you're following somebody with longevity and a successful tenure. But I will tell you a surefire way of accelerating that exponentially and becoming a leader faster than you would under natural circumstances, and that would be how you handle a crisis. A crisis happens, you jump on it, you handle it, you make decisions, you lead through it, not worrying too much about what other people are gonna say, you lead through it. At that time, you're not looking for approval, understanding, affirmation, kudos, but those will come way down or may never come, but you lead through that. And a crisis can turn you from just being a title holder, a position holder, to actually being the leader. How? Mm-hmm you handle that crisis. So during crisis, there are two questions. And I'm going to tell you both of them and give you a little bit on each one of them. Question number one is, what should we do? What should we do? Question number two is, how should we think about this? How should we think about this? So what should we do says, here's a crisis, Let's fix it. How should we think about it broadens that to say, 
there's a bigger context. This crisis mm. is not an isolation. This crisis is not just uh, something that came out of the blues. There, there's a context to it. Things are attached in life. There are dots to be connected. So how should we think about this? And when you allow your mind to get out of putting the fire out to saying, how can we think about this? The neighbor's houses. There's the car in the, in the driveway. Let's at least get that car out of the way. How should we think about it in broader terms mm. rather than narrower terms? And that becomes, I think, the defining uh uh, texture, yeah. or that's not the right word, defining some other word not coming to me right now. <laughs> yeah, as to how we deal with it. Question number one, what should we do? Question number two, how should we think about it? Now, if you're, if you're in a crisis and you have your staff around you, your executives are around you, your vice president is sitting around the table, and you're in a crisis, they all want you to fix it. Mm. But if you start fixing it, they let you fix it. And that is why your table will be surrounded by doers, not thinkers. Mm. And crisis is the moment in which you can lead thinking. Please hear what I'm saying. You can lead thinking. The highest challenge of a leader is how do I lead my team to think? Jesus had that challenge. <laughs> That's right. That's Listen right. To his words to his disciples on a regular basis. I mean, he's he's always disappointed in the level of thinking. And he's saying, Don't you understand? Don't you remember? When will you get it? Leading thinking. Mm. If you lead thinking, that'll be good. But during crisis, leading thinking is pretty sticky. And sticky in a good sense, that's like right. the name of the book. And so, yeah, that's a long answer to a short question. That Sorry. is a great. That is a great answer. And what I love about it is, I think we all know when we haven't done well in it. And I've here's here, and I know you and Dr. Rutland talked about this a little bit. We all hate a crisis. We hate adversity. We hate pain. We hate a crisis. But do we ever really become a leader? until we experience those things? What do you think? Oh, on a crisis is the only thing that makes you a leader. I mean, I mean, look, look, look at in the Bible. Some, you know, every, every character you see in the Bible uh, had crisis points that made them a, I mean, there was a Goliath. If there was no Goliath, us preachers wouldn't have much to talk about. <laughs> That's so you true. Know, if, it's if so there was true. No lion, if there was no lion's den, there would be no Daniel. If there was no fiery furnace, there wouldn't be Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. If there was no cross, there would be no savior. Mm. I mean, it, it just goes. So, you know, if there was no uh, dearth of food, then we wouldn't have the story of the 5,000 or mm. 4,000. So every crisis is what created the leader. So, you know, so every Bible story that we preach about uh, be it Abraham, be it Naaman, be it Job, be it David, doesn't matter who comes to mind, we talk about their crisis points mm. and how that made them who they were. If, they were. if the walls were not broken down, there would not be a Nehemiah. That's right. What do you think was the great, I'd love to, I'd love to tag on that real quick. What do you think was Nehemiah's best leadership moment? You've taught Nehemiah probably a thousand times. When did you see Nehemiah as an observer looking at his life lead the best? When he realized he had to work and fight at the same time. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, we preach about, I cannot come down from the wall. Yeah. Uh, we've all talked about that. But when they had a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other, so as to speak. Yep. And I think, isn't that every, every leader's picture? We work and fight at the same time. And I don't think as a leader, you get to make those choices. You, oh, there are so many lessons in, in Nehemiah. Mm. You know, there, there's opposition from the outside, inside. I mean, we can go on and on. But to me, if I had to, in this very moment, you ask me a question an hour from now, I'll have a different answer. 
but <laughs> at least in this given moment, I can see him with a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. And I think that's all of us. Mm. Nothing sexy about it. And so no. much of leadership isn't sexy. It's dirty and it's work. The, 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 the gloss comes after it's looked back on, not while you're in it. Yeah, the gloss comes at your funeral. <laughs> that is true. We don't even get to enjoy it. We don't even get to enjoy it. We'll be enjoying something else at that point. That's all jacked up. That is so good. Yeah, Nehemiah is just such a fascinating leader because he he really encompassed crisis management and, and change is changing in a lot of ways. And your other book I wanted to touch on was Who's Holding Your Ladder? You know, Nehemiah accomplished so much through the people that God put around him. Um, you made the comment in your book, no leader gets to the top without those down below who hold the ladder. Why should a leader never forget that statement that they're only as good as the people around them? Well, let me ask every leader. Do you know where the light switches are? Mm. <laughs> Do you know how to turn on your PA system? Do you know where the thermostats are even to, to work the thermostats anymore? Do you, do, I mean, do you know the small things that happen? I mean, think of it this way. Can, can, I just, can I just ask all the pastors a question? Yes. If your volunteers went on strike this coming Sunday, what are you doing? Mm. Not a whole lot. Some of you don't even know how to get inside your own churches. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how to turn on the PA system. Uh, we don't, there's no such thing as PA system now. It's a whole media. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, you don't know how to turn on the flashing lights or the smoke machine. Uh, you know, you just, uh, and I think it's uh, when we forget the people who brought us here, the people who keep us here. Uh, uh, so, so every leader has done, uh, uh, media work during the last uh, uh, months. If you did not have people running your cameras for you, if you didn't have people doing the light for you, people putting it out on uh, YouTube and Facebook and uh, all the other uh, media available out there, people who do the actual work of getting it out. Mm. And I think if you forget the people who are holding your ladder, you will live long enough to fall off the ladder with nobody down there. Mm, mm. When you think you're all that, I think the Lord says, okay, have at it. But he brings, he brings people in our lives. There's that, there's that uh, old lady who every Sunday stands in line to shake her hand and does to tell you what a blessing you are. Mm. Don't dismiss her. Mm. She's an angel sent of God. She may not be putting a lot in the offering, but she is putting a lot in your soul. Mm. So I, I just, I just think sometimes we get too big for our own britches, like they say. And uh, Bible tells us hubris, pride goes before a fall. And I just, I just think, you know, I'm an immigrant. I'm an immigrant. So I came to United States of America in 1973, August of 1973. I know what it is to eat out of trash cans. I know what it is to go dumpster diving when it was not fashionable. I know what it is for strangers to invite me to their home for a meal. I know what it is for people to buy gas for my car, put tires on my car. I know what it is for people to take me to Goodwill to buy my clothes for me. Uh, and, you know, I haven't always had the whatever you said about me earlier on. But those are people who brought me here, Mike. Mm, mm, so good. Those are my ladder holders. So if I'm standing tall, I'm standing tall because I'm the on the shoulders of so many. People you will Google, you will never find them, but people who gave me a buck here, five bucks there. People who helped me in the laundromat, paid for my laundry. Yeah. You know, those are the people. And, and me... If nothing else comes out of this conversation we're having, may the Lord allow us to rewind our lives and see the people who helped us when we were in students in college, uh, who fed us, clothed us, 
People who didn't have to, but right. they did. And those are ladder holders. Not necessarily the ones who are paying right now or the volunteers right now, but even way, way, way back then. And I think when we have a heart of gratefulness, that pleases God and Amen. blessings are unleashed. Yeah, uh, I continue to have ladder holders in my life. So thank God for that. You know, it's funny. You know, you think about the Apostle Paul was such a trailblazer. I mean, he he was he was out front arguing, he was debating, he was being thrown in prison. I read a book this past year by Richard Blackaby, and it was Paul and his companions. And you forget about in every letter he wrote, he wrote to the people that held his ladder. I had never thought about Paul that way till I read that book. I thought, you know, Paul never forgot how he got where he was. He never forgot it. He knew that he was Lydia and all these people that paved the way. How does remembering who holds your ladder keep you from arrogance, keep you from that, that tool the enemy can use so quickly in a leader's life of going, oh, yeah, you did all this. You accomplished all this. How can remembering who's holding that ladder and how you got there keep you from walking through a door you don't want to go through? Isn't it interesting how when people say stuff about us, we start believing it, the good stuff, you know, so you stand on a platform. And Dr. Mike Lynch, the pastor of this, this, this church, who's written this, this, this many books, who has this podcast, who has this reach, and, and what happens when we start believing that? Not realizing that, you know, you got to say something about the guy you got. So, uh, you know, say good stuff. And, and the two things that happen behind that, it is very seductive, and it is very addictive. So true. Very seductive and very addictive. I'll give you a bad example from my life. So uh, I've I've written twenty three books now. All right. So there was this. I was going to be. I was being introduced on this platform to speak, and the person introducing me said I had written twelve books. They had read an older bio. They said twelve books, and it bothered me. Mm. It bothered me that, don't they know I've written 23 books, not 12 books? Now, and this is before I'm about to speak. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, my, the purity of my heart is in question, right? Mm, mm. Mm. See how seductive it is and how ad- addictive it is? You want it and you want more of it. You want it, it's like, say more, say more. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm all that, say more, say more. Mm. And because we get that on a regular basis, we start believing all of that. And somehow we start living it out. And I have, just through this one story, told you how you don't overcome that. Mm because the need for affirmation is so deep. So when God created us in the garden, in his image, he created us with appetites that he has. So he has an insatiable appetite for worship. Mm -hmm. I mean, he already tells us what we'll be doing for eternity. (laughs) Holy, holy, holy. That's right. That's all we'll be doing. Worship, worship, worship throughout eternity. But because of the fall, so we were created with that insatiable appetite as well, because we are image bearers. But because of the fall, that got convoluted to affirmation and praise. So we have, so so think about your children when they're little. They, I mean, they live off affirmation and praise. We put the pictures up on the proverbial refrigerator. You know, it's it's like, good girl, good boy, boy, son, you are amazing. And so, and, and we never outgrow that. I mean, have you ever had a pastor say to you, I'm so encouraged today. Mike, if you encourage me, I'll die of encouragement overdose. Mm. No, we are built for the 
insatiable appetite for affirmation and praise. We live off that. We yes. live off that. I want, I mean, I want people who are hearing us right now to say, man, that's the best stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> who is that Indian dude? Well, I mean, we're talking about it. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, exactly isn't, right. that, isn't that uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey I, I read an article that intrigued me. She said that she has, of course, interviewed the who's who of the world, thousands of them. She said all of them at the conclusion of her time with them in some variation asked the same question. Did I do okay? Was I all right? Do you think people like that? Some so so that question elicits what affirmation, right? right? So we go fish. If somebody does not give it to us, we'll go fishing for it. So I heard you. I heard you say it was really interesting. Many are the people that hold my ladder, but there are seasons and times in my life I'm somebody else's ladder holder. All the time. Why is it so important that a leader never stops being someone else's ladder holder? Well, I hope in some small way I'm holding your ladder right That's now. That's right. That's right. And if I stop doing that, then I am going to reap what I sow. <laughs> so if I sow holding somebody's ladder without expectation down the road, Others will hold my ladder. I've got literally hundreds of people who hold my ladder. Mm. So, so what's going on right now? I'm holding your ladder, but you're also letting people know about resources such as Avail and Inspire. And so you, at the same time, are holding my mm. ladder. That's good. So isn't that something? I'm holding your ladder. You're holding my ladder at the same time. Mm, mm. basically say it another way we are both serving each other without any expectations you know I, i've read where you in your in your book you talk about every leader especially in this realm we've got to dis discover develop and deploy those mm. that are with us yes why why do we not want somebody to get stuck in one of those, why should why should we be sending out ladder climbers as much as we can? Boy, that is easy to say, hard to do because we all want to accumulate good leaders around us. You know, we don't want to send anybody away. So we want to keep that staff person. We want to keep that executive. We want to keep that administrator. We want to keep. We want to keep. So it's like I've invested my life into this person. And you're just going to get up and go and do some the same thing somewhere else? Yep. I mean, how does that work out? And that is why we uh, don't really do that. But I think all of us are a product of three things. And that's the job description of every leader. I don't care if you're a believer, unbeliever, uh, ministry, marketplace. The job description is very simple. You discover leaders, you develop leaders, and you deploy leaders. Because deploying leaders is the toughest thing you're going to do. Discover who are they, where are they, develop their gifts and their talents with a different room training, and then you deploy them. You find places for them to be used. When you look back on your leadership, you're a student. You said, I'm a student of leadership. I love looking at what makes people successful, what makes failure. As someone looks back postscript at Sam Chan's ministry, they look at the ladder that you've climbed. They see the ladders you've held for them. How do you want them to define your success in their life? What would you say? I want to give two answers to that. I think my ladder holding in their life, no, let me say it another way. So my uh, on my website and everywhere else, everyone who knows me, 
my vision statement is three words, helping others succeed. That's my vision statement for my life. So everything I do is to help others succeed. I have written, uh, I've written forwards and I've written endorsements for books of people I don't even know. Because I can't know everybody. Mm. Uh, I have spoken at places, I've done Zoom calls all over the world. Mike, I have gone to more countries in the last two years than I could have ever gone in my lifetime. Mm. I've spoken to more leaders in the last two years than I could have ever spoken anywhere. I have done more one-on-ones with major leaders in every continent in the last two years from the same room I'm sitting in right now. So uh, that's one part of my answer is helping others succeed. The second one I've got to take two minutes to tell you the story. Do you have two, two more minutes? Absolutely. Okay. okay. So I was 28 years of age. I had just been elected as the pastor of a small country church in Michigan. So yeah, and we used to have elections. Many churches still do and nothing wrong with that, but yeah. So I was elected to be, I was 28, married, expecting our first baby. So this was August of 1980, August of 1980. Our first baby was born in October of 1980. So I was down uh, at the campground, Uh, you know, denominations had campgrounds Mm -hmm. where we had an annual conference. So it was August. I went down to this campground in Ohio. Uh, I'm 28. I'm all excited. It's my first church. I'm going to pastor. Uh, So across the campground, I saw our superintendent, general overseer, bishop, whatever you want to call him. His name was Chester Miller, Dr. Chester Miller, uh, former uh, missionary to Brazil, amazing man, gone on to be Jesus now. And I saw him across the campground and I ran up to him and I said to him, Brother Miller, Brother Miller, because in those days we call everyone brother, yeah. sister, yeah, if you remember that, you know, Brother Miller, Brother Miller, have you heard I'm going to pastor this church in Michigan? He was very soft-spoken, very reserved, uh, very sober. And he said to me, yes, Brother Sam, I heard, I heard. So in my excitement and my exuberance, in my zeal, as 28-year-old, pastoring for the first time, I said to him, Brother Miller, what would be the one advice you would give me? One advice you would give me. And I was expecting him to give me, like, don't do this and do this and change this and don't change that and raise this and stop doing that and start doing this. Something really strategic. But his answer was so disappointing. Mm. It just, I mean, I just could not believe it. I was just like the rich young ruler, walked away from there totally disappointed. (laughs) Jesus gave him gold, and he Mm. walked away from there. So Dr. Chester Miller looked down at the ground, at the pavement, looked back at me, and he said, Brother Sam, and here was his answer, Mike. He said to me, live long, live clean. Mm. Live long, live clean, and walked away. He walked away, and I was just like, is that all you have? <laughs> I mean, you're my, you're my bishop. Is that all you have? Couldn't you have told me to start this program, stop doing that, raise this money, go slow on changes, make this change right away? I mean, couldn't you have given me something to bite my teeth into? Mm -hmm. But to a 28-year-old, excited about pastoring my first church, all I get from you is live long, live clean. Mm -hmm. In a couple of months, Mike, I'll turn 70. It makes more sense to me today than ever before. Live long, live clean. Live clean in your marriage. Live clean in your relationships. Live clean in your business. Live clean in your finances. 
live clean in the products that you produce, live long, live clean. And that is what makes more sense to me than all the books I read now. Well, I've seen so many of my friends and so have you, Mike, and everybody listening to us right now, 100% of people listening to us right now can know somebody who did not live clean. And that ends up defining your legacy. So everyone who's listening to me right now, and thank you, Mike, for this opportunity. I simply want to echo the words of Dr. Chester Miller on that sunny, hot asphalt pavement in the campground in Ohio in August of 1980. Live long, live clean. That was solid, wasn't it? I tell you what, every time I get together with Dr. Chan, I think, how can it be any better? And I, and I mentioned to him when we got off the podcast that day, when we got off our interview, I said, I hope you know that the next time you throw something out, I'm going to want to get you again because it just keeps getting better and better. And he is just somebody that when you're with him, he just makes you better. And the thought, the thoughts behind change has changed are just right on the money, aren't they? They are just right on the money and are just so full of nuggets and wisdom and thoughts. I just, my goodness, I just can't get over how good Dr. Chand is. And so I'm so glad you got to be a part and you got to be uh, in a a place where we – We've lived out some of the craziest years of our lives, but we find out, as Dr. Chan said, crisis sometimes can bring out the best in people, and maybe it's brought out the best in you as a leader. Maybe you found your way to this podcast because of that. So thanks again for joining us. I I hope you'll share it. I hope you will subscribe, number one. Make sure you subscribe and you're a part and you get it downloaded each and every time because there are just so many great people coming your way this fall we've got in our next next episode annie f downs who is just amazing the great author uh novelist charles martin uh high school legendary football coach in the state of kentucky coach philip haywood and then we got this fall we've got jim the rookie morris uh from the movie the rookie that was based on his life and molly miller from Uh, Grand Canyon University basketball coach. We've just got so much coming and you don't want to miss an episode. Thanks again for joining us today. And I pray you'll go be the leaders that you were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.